Three, two, one, and we're live. Gary Bright. How you doing, mate? I'm I'm doing pretty well. I've just been on a bit of a drive, bit of a bit of a journey, and I've pulled up. We had a few technical issues, but we've persisted, and here we are, mate. <laughs> it's been long in the making. This, so looking forward to it, buddy. Looking forward to it. Where about are you in Australia at the moment? I am in a town which I don't even know how to say the name, um, <laughs> and I have. But <laughs> uh, this part of Australia is apparently where you can go and look at stars from like a uh, this fucking astronomer has a huge satellite out here, and it's the darkest place uh, in Australia where there's no light pollution and you can go up to this like observatory and look through telescopes and all sorts. So yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a weird town though. It's like one supermarket or a, it's like a Meredith or something. <laughs> I love Meredith. That's yeah, crazy. <laughs> Mate, um, ASL, I have to ask. ASL. <laughs> Fuck, I haven't used ASL since MIRC when I was about 12. <laughs> ASL, I'm 34, I'm male, and I am currently in Cardiff. All right, yeah, we're literally on, well, very different parts of the world at the moment, aren't we? You're over in the UK and I'm back in, well, yeah. what would what would you call your homeland, Australia or or the UK? What are you talking Oh, I've got to say, Australia's home. I lived there for 30 years or so, but um, I think I was always destined to move over to this part of the world. The UK is just always drawn to me. My family's pretty much all from over here. Not from Cardiff, Wales, but, um, yeah, just the UK. Other parts, and you've, you've just recently gone from Cardiff back to another area, Kid and something or other. <laughs> That's it. You can, you can get it, Simo. Kidderminster. Right. right. Yeah, I have no fucking idea. I just knew that it started with Kidderminster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so is like a um, basically a tiny little shithole in the West Midlands of um, the the England. But um, my mum, she grew up over these parts or in them those parts, and always growing up, we used to uh, phone from Australia to Kidderminster and talk to the family and. Yeah, I just always thought I was destined to uh, move over this place. And yeah, just last week, actually, um, I went back there for the first time since Christmas in 2018, a couple of years ago. Very good. It's good, good, good catching up with the family. They've kept me well fed and well drank. Nice one. Um, and right now, just explain your surroundings. Where are you? I'm like literally just chilling on the side of the road in the back of my van. Um, looking at these pot plants, thinking, fucking hell, I think I need to water them because they're dying. Um, <laughs> um, staring at a, no, a well, can I'm, of kombucha, pretending to be healthy, even though it's probably full of sugar. But, yeah, go on. I've tried that kombucha shit. It's terrible. Um, <laughs> I'm currently sitting in my uh, girlfriend's kitchen at the moment. The sun is beaming down, which is surprising for Cardiff because give it 20 minutes, it'll be belting down rain. Um, on my second cup of coffee nice. already, and it's only, only 20 past eight in the morning, but love it. Double shots? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, pretty Where much, actually. I learned how to make... be an instant man. Oh, shit, yeah. I'm not going through the effort to bloody put pods in coffees and grind my coffee beans. Just give me a spoonful of the instant and a bit of milk and I'm fine. i get you going. 
Yeah. Very good. It's actually mate. lovely um, here today. Lovely here for a Cardiff day. Like this is a beautiful morning for the UK. Like it's picturesque. Yeah, well, what is it? It's the tail end of summer. What are we at? August. So it is tail end of summer in Europe. Yeah. It's been a crazy summer over here considering the, the world at the moment. Yeah. Hey, like without um like I know that everyone who listens to all different forms of media, not that this is in any sense the fucking news, but um the whole COVID thing, what's your what's your take on it? Like for starters, like why do you think it's happening and what's the situation like over there? Oh, I have many theories on why it's happening. Some people might call me some sort of a conspiracy nut, but I don't think it's a whole conspiracy or anything. I believe there's definitely a um a virus out there and there's definitely people dying and being affected day to day in their life. Yeah. I'm just not sure I'm not just I'm not sure about the statistics that are being put out in the media for us. Yeah. Well when you but, um, when you talk about conspiracies, yeah. don't worry, mate. I've just had a, a three month stint in Byron Bay, which is right next to Mullumbimby. And there's a guy that gets around with a, a van that has titled on the side of it anti vax. And then he's got all this propaganda. And then, you know, the next person's talking about 5G. And then the next person's talking about fracking. So if you want to throw any of those conspiracies out there, mate, I'm, I'm fucking, I'm open. <laughs> uh, I, I don't want to sh- shoot my mouth off about stuff I don't know too much about, but I just I think it's pretty obvious in my head that the statistics are being botched. Like I think they're for some reason they're being put up to be higher, and we're being kept in these lockdown states. Like the UK, we've just recently come out of our lockdown. I think March twenty second was um it was Mother's Day over here. And then that was a Sunday, and old Boris Johnson, he uh, gave us some advice, basically. He said, uh, don't go out. And then, basically, the UK ignored him. So March 23rd on the Monday, he got on television. He said, all right, we're enforcing a lockdown. You uh, can't go further than five miles from your house. You um, can't gather with anyone else other than your household. You can't go visit mum and dad who live in another town. Right. You basically just got like, Basically, just locked down. Thanks very much, BJ. Yeah, Boris Johnson, old mate. He even copped Boris. He even copped it himself. He What's that? Went into intensive care. Yeah, right. He copped yeah, COVID nineteen himself. Way, ended up it? in. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty wild time. I I spoke to a guy on the phone, and look, I think this guy's a fucking crackpot. This guy's actually like a multi millionaire from Byron Bay, who like developed all these um things up in the Gold Coast and whatever, but. He he's on the phone to me. We're meant to be talking about business or whatever, and he just quickly changed the subject to to this whole coronavirus thing. And he made a good point. He said he thinks that on some level um, that everyone has been sent home to have a look at their own life. So it's like they basically have stopped work have stopped their income unless you're getting money from the government, of course, but it's like actually giving them an opportunity to look at their lives, who they are outside what their normal job is, what they fill most of their time in with. Cause it's like, as soon as you have all that time on your hands, man, there's a, it's a big fucking change as far as what you do from morning to sleep every day. And then that's a lot of time to just reflect and look at your life. You know what I mean? Yeah, def definitely. Like um, I was 
I consider myself lucky during this time because my business that I work, not my business person, but the company I work for, they actually managed to stay open throughout the whole lockdown. They managed to um, keep selling stars, basically. I work for an online gift company that uh, yeah, mate. sells tell, stars. Tell, so. tell the listeners what, what you do for a living, you big, you big star. <laughs> so, um, oh, it's – I basically – I work for an online gift company where they – um name a star basically you can log on to our website and pick us uh pick a constellation and put a personalized gift towards uh naming a star and for some reason or other i'm not too sure if it's essential because i think only essential workers were supposed to kick on during the um covid times but we stayed open during that time and yeah i think that kept me sane to be honest giving me something to stay like wake up to and go to work and then come home sure, to because yeah. well, it gives you, there was a lot of people. Life, it gives you life meaning. And I'm, yeah. a, lot, a lot of people when they retire, because, you know, they've worked up until 60, 65, and then they retire and they're not working or they're only working part-time or whatever, they don't know what to do with themselves. Like they might go around Australia for a year, then they're like, all right, we've done that. And then they look at their lives and they're like, what the fuck do I do? How, what do I do with my time yeah. if I'm not working? So yeah, it's, it. it's an interesting sort of like fact, like that it's that it's happening. But going back to your star thing, that's probably the last time I saw you was when you were in Oz. Um, you came over here for what, three months or two months. You were in Sydney. I spent three months. Yeah, my my company spent, sent me over to work in the Australian office for three months. That was that was a year ago now, oh, just just over. Yeah, we had a pretty kick-ass party and, like, some good catch-ups going Yeah, out. some good beers we had. In, um, <laughs> we, we, we were in Manly, weren't we? That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there are a few good nights there. Yeah, uh, it's, 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 it's been crazy working, like, for this, this star company, to be honest. Like, it's... Yeah, they say if you love your job, you never work a day in your life. Like, I don't so much believe in like I don't love selling stars, but I love the people I work with. It's a good, fun environment. You go in there, and you go in laughing in the morning, and you come home laughing of an evening. Yeah, and that, it doesn't doesn't sound, doesn't sound like it's a desk job where you're just like locked in a cubicle and it's just like boring and and shit, um, mate. Wanted to ask you, you you were telling me just briefly the other day when we had a quick catch up that um, you'd recently stopped smoking weed. Um, do you want to do you want to like talk about that? Are you open to talking about that? Or yeah, mate, I, I, I'm happy to answer about that. Like, yeah, yeah I've cool. smoked weed for a long time and just recently I'm stopped. Right. So do you want to do you want to like maybe just give us a bit of a, a backstory as to what your history is with smoking weed? I know it because like we're pretty good mates, but um, maybe just a bit of a backstory and then um, how you've sort of come to the point where you you are now, um, and then like what that process was for, for quitting. Yeah. Um, well. We'll take you back to the year 2005, I guess. Like, it's been a few years now. Um, like just a curious my, – my personality, I'm always curious about things. So I got myself into it, me and me and my mate Tajani, my mate Berger, and yourself. We were just all experimenting, I guess, and yeah, like 
to start off to start off with, weed was very beneficial for me. Like I suffer from a bit of anxiety and a bit of um social awkwardness, I guess, and weed sort of got rid of all that for me. Like it was felt felt like a, like a new man basically. Like a, the 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 weight was lifted off me, but then my personality, my addictive personality, I sort of kept at it when others were dropping off like yourself. You managed to sort of like get out of the funk of smoking every day and stuff where I kept at it, unfortunately. And fast forward 15 years later, like I'm still battling with it. But as we speak, I'm like, I think three weeks clean now. Yeah, yeah. Um, Interesting. It's it's an an ongoing battle. Like, I mean, I'll be – constantly like faced with these things because of my social groups and stuff but yeah it's like oh. it's, it's sort of just there in the background like available because like i mean going back to two, what what year did you say 2005 like, yeah our first merit of 2005 yeah, so around that time is when i also i only smoked for about a year and a half but i smoked every single day and i remember the little ritual we used to have was you, Timmy, um, myself would go, you'd pick me up and we'd go to like these different locations around our home city where we grew up and we would just smoke and smoke and smoke and smoke and smoke and and listen to music and laugh, but fuck, we like absolutely annihilated it and I was for sure addicted in that time and it, it definitely was not easy for, for me to quit, but I am glad that I was able to stop it at that time. Yeah, it, it's 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 a tough one. Like, it's, it, when you've got people like like some of my close friends, like my very, very, very close friends that I see day to day and the connection is weed and smoking, like it's, it, it does get hard to like shake the... Like when you get together with your mates, like you sit in the land room and hanging out, and you just look at each other. Like, oh, what, what do you want to do? Oh, well, let's get high. Yeah, and that, and that sort of just just continued basically, and then it just become a part of day to day life. It does, and then, yeah, you start to through, you start through. to question like, because um, for me, for a while, I was like, oh, are these my real friends? Um, all we seem to do is like get high together. Uh, they just getting high buddies. But when I think of it, we all pretty much knew each other before we started smoking, or like, you know, we we had some like former friendship before yeah. that happened. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. Me and me and to me and Tajani and uh, Burger, we played football together. So we were, I wouldn't say fitness freaks or nothing, but we actually went to football training twice a week, played games on weekends, and kept ourselves busy with like social like football activities and sporting activities. But then through that and growing up and getting older and stuff and yeah, just. Yeah. And, and like when, when you talked about that, when you smoked weed, like the anxiety and the social awkwardness and things of that nature kind of went away. Um, how would you explain that they went away? Did you just like feel that you could be more yourself when you were high? There was like some freedom. I don't think the, the overthinking, because I'm a chronic overthinker. Like I'll be somewhere and I'll be just overthinking things. And that just sort of went out the window to start with. Like I'd be standing in a room full of people pre-smoking weed and, and I'd be just 
paranoid and anxious about like what people are thinking and what's going on around me. And then when I was high in the first few months and the first few times I smoked weed, it was just like that just wasn't there. I was just able to enjoy myself in that moment, in that time, rather yeah. than being so worried about my surroundings. Yeah. But um, no wonder it was so the, addictive yeah. then. You know what I mean? Like well, that's it. the fact that's that it. the fact yeah. that it was like reducing that dramatically is like because that shit's hard to to get rid of, like for, for anyone. You know, like it, to, to get anxiety and to get depressed and to get socially awkward. It's like, well, how the fuck do you combat it? Because I certainly know growing up that there was nothing spoken about anxiety. There was nothing spoken about depression. There was no one standing there going, "This is how you alleviate." Uh, social awkwardness like there was no instructions you know there's no like there's no textbook for social (laughs) everyone's everyone's an individual like like you just yeah there's no you can't you can't be prepared in high school or going up through schools about the people you will meet and the influences that will have on you and like when my one of my, my my first workplace, I worked at a chicken slaughterhouse at, uh, down in Old Breakwater in Geelong, and I was smoking a lot of weed. and And I met one of my um he became a very good friend of mine. He was a uh, Maori fella, and he was like a major influence for me for the point where like I could go from being like weed was a social thing, where I'd smoke with my friends, and when I met this guy, he was a lot more advanced in his smoking and like he sort of I don't know, taught me or showed me that like I could go to work and I could still smoke and go to work. And basically I learned how to function day to day while being high. Yeah. And that's, that was like definitely his influence. Like he, he sort of like, don't worry about it guys. Like, it's okay. And I'm like, oh, okay, fair enough. Yeah. And eventually from that, I just built from that. And then, yeah, an addiction followed basically. Like, sure, I yeah, you definitely have to be careful of, of those people who are influencing you. But at the same time, it's it's very hard when, um, let's say, like you're seeing that person every day and they're like pushing ideas mm-hmm. onto you or even the whole thing of just being addicted to smoking. Like if you all hang out at someone's house after work and everyone's smoking there, it's like, fuck, good luck giving up. You know, it's that environment yeah, it's, is, it's is definitely, and I mean, that's if you want to give up to the point, like, I mean, when I stopped, I stopped because when I was smoking, it was fucking my life up. And I knew that if I stopped, like, well, I basically had to stop. Otherwise, I would have probably had a severe mental breakdown, you know, it just got to that point where I was so addicted and so reliant on it that... I was getting frustrated. I was getting angry. Um, I was getting paranoid. All the different like bad side effects of weed. Um, yeah. But I still smoke from time to time. I mean, I haven't in quite a while. But like when I go to Europe in Barcelona, you can just get it like in coffee shops. Um, so yeah. it is interesting to to do it when it's like every now and then, if you can, like. And, and that's yeah. if you can though do you know what I mean it's a bit like the alcoholic if like someone drinks for 10 years every day I don't think they can give up and then just go have one drink because they're going to they're going to start again so maybe it's the same thing with smoking I don't know yeah I, I definitely is like I, at, at the moment there's um, three three weeks without having some uh, having a smoke and I've 
personally knocked back. I've knocked back two parties and um, a couple of social gatherings because I just know they're danger zones for me. Like I need to stay away. But me personally, like I know in myself that if I put myself in that position, I'm more likely to relapse and go into like back, go back, go backwards basically. Like sure. so, for me, for me, it's remove yourself from that situation and um, try and focus on something a bit more positive. And, yeah. So, like, how do you how do you go then in the process of of quitting? Because when people talk about addiction and recovery and different things like that, they talk about different methods that people use and i mean there's all sorts of things from like 12 step to um counseling to you name it but uh, one of the one of the main things and i think this is with any like addiction or bad habit is replacing the like activity with something different um, and preferably something quite positive rather than negative. So do you then change your schedule or lifestyle in a way that instead of smoking, you've got something else or how do you, how do you handle that? Yeah. Um, well, for, for me, I had to get out of a funk. Like I was in a big funk. That's what the trip to Kidamist was about. Like I had to get away from my day-to-day life here in Cardiff. So for me to break the cycle, to break the habit, I had the full week off in Kidderminster. Now I've come back and um, I'm throwing a lot of effort into my new relationship. It's not new. It's been with us since January. But um, my partner, Beth, Beth and I, we, she's been absolutely amazing sort of just supporting me. So distraction. Like I, I have been down the path of drug counsellors and one of the things the drug counsellor said to me in the back back of my head that stuck with me is um, delay, distract, decide. So, like, delay, try delay having a smoke and then distract yourself with something and then, then make a decision on what you're going to do. So, for me now, I am yeah, throwing a lot more effort into this relationship with um, Beth. We're, we're going at, like, last night we went for a trip to the beach, watched the sunset, where, to me, like, pre-smoke of weed like while I was smoking weed sorry like that the idea of going to a sunset like yeah it sounds good but I just wouldn't be fully committed to it my brain would be just constantly thinking all right when am I going to have a spliff or when am I going to have a bowl yeah constantly looking for to to feed that addiction or that that need I know that because recently I I mean for a long period of time I quit cigarettes but I also have a very impulsive uh, addictive personality I've just somehow managed to try and throw that into different things like starting business or whatever it is yeah. that I'm doing skateboarding fitness whatever um, thank God I didn't go down the path of, of harder drugs because I definitely would have been an addict um, but one thing for me that's always been very hard is cigarettes and People might think, oh, you know, like they're only cigarettes, blah, blah, blah. But a massive, massive cause of anxiety. Like once I'm hooked on cigarettes, I it actually ends up giving me a huge amount of anxiety and, and uh, extremely hard for me to quit. Um, so, you know, I didn't smoke for maybe six months, eight months, and then started partying a bit, started drinking a bit. And then I would smoke two or three and then I was like, fuck it, I'll just get a pack. 
smoke the pack for the night, yeah. throw it out, and then the next morning I'd literally be back in that bin, be like, where are those fucking cigarettes? Like, I'm hungry. <laughs> oh, I need to smoke one. And then just that old pattern comes back and then all of a sudden I'm a fucking smoker, you know? So Yeah. Um, yeah. Mean, I, it's not the same. I can definitely the addiction part. Yeah, cigarettes can be just as bad as marijuana. Cigarettes can be just as bad as the heroin, depending on like how you do it. Like if if your mental state is not if you, if you're not happy about smoking cigarettes and you know you shouldn't be doing it, it's going to get you down. For sure, and that's, and that's, that's the thing, isn't that's it? It's like um, you 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 have high functioning heroin addicts. Like there are heroin addicts oh, out there yeah. who have jobs and you, are able to hold on to their know. jobs. You wouldn't even know it. Like from my time working in, a, I worked in a correctional facility back home in the prison, and I've dealt with drug addicts day to day. And the, like a heroin addict would look no different to say a meth addict or a, a weed addict. Like there's high functioning heroin addicts out there. You, you wouldn't pick them. It's, it's, it's quite easy people... for some people to mask it too. I think, um, as well as like Definitely. different different ways to cope. But you don't know how how different uh, substances or chemicals will will affect people but touching on that guys like having worked in a prison are you like open to talking about that as well like are you allowed to or i, I can talk as much as i can without dropping right names and actual scenarios yeah, but yeah I, sure. I, I enjoyed that mate good, good first of all what what was your role there and then second of all what because you were basically looking after the bad, the bad of the bad, you know, you, you were looking after lifetime prisoners. It was a maximum security prison. These are full psychopathic people. Um, but would you actually know that they're psychopaths? Would you know that they've murdered? Cause I've heard they can be quite charismatic. Oh, definitely. Um, it's, it's, it's a, it's a different world inside them, them walls. Like they live their own little bubble. And you'd like, yeah, I worked at a max, super max, I think it was, but I think it was technically a super max, but um, Port Phillip prison, I can name the prison. Um, it, I worked with like three time murderers and I've worked with um, convicted sex offenders on like, I've worked with the worst of the worst. And some of these guys, like you wouldn't, you just wouldn't pick it. Like there's, they're knockabout blokes that you feel like you could have a beer with at the pub on a Saturday night. But then um, you go and look in their their file, or someone will tell you what they've done, and you're just like, "Bullshit!" Like he did that. Like right, it, it's it's just a different world. Like it's, and yeah, and, it's it's hard to it's hard, really hard to fathom unless you work behind the bars. Yeah, because everyone's got this very very big gloomy vision that like a murderer looks like someone who's like a thug and he's just a prick and they're scared of murderers. But to yeah. me, like when I work in there, the murderers and like the long-term is the ones who are doing say 15 years plus, they're the best ones to deal with because they want to just get on with their life day to day inside their walls. It's the, um, it was mainly the ones say like the, uh, the drug dealers, the drug takers, the ones who are coming off drugs or inside the prison walls taking the drugs, they're the handfuls. They're the ones who basically then mm-hmm. all they care about day-to-day for those guys is just trying to make the prison officer's life yeah, hard. Yeah, so, or... so like two different types of, of, 
of prisoners, do you think the ones who are more psychopathic, the more like murderer type ones, they, whenever they did their crimes, that they perhaps just had a breaking point and went and committed it? They're always like that, but they have a personality type that allows them to put a front on to society to manipulate people and to come across as a certain way so that they can trick people. Because I'm sure that in there, some of the psychopathic murderers were trying to get you like on their side, win you over. Oh, definitely. Definitely. They're, 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 and it's not so much they're trying to um, get me on their side to try and influence me. It's just, they're just trying to basically get one over me so they can make their day-to-day life easier. Because all they've got is the four walls. They've got the four walls of the prison. They can't go anywhere. And in some instances, they've only got their cell. They've um, And they rely on a prison officer for 100% of everything. They'll, they need to take a shit. They have to ask us for toilet paper. If they want to make a phone call, they have to ask us to make this phone call. Like, And the, their job, them, those guys, is basically to try and manipulate us to see right. how much they can get yeah. out of us. So you're their, you're they, their green light. Like if they need anything done in the prison, it's through you guys. That's it. So if, let's say, for example, they a prisoner did want to take a shit and we we're allowed to give him one roll of toilet paper, um, they, their, their general psyche would be to try and manipulate me and get me on their side, smooth talk me, charismatic, do their best to try and get that second roll of toilet paper. It's really interesting, right. isn't it, with the, the charismatic people because in some sense you know that they're like psychopathic or maybe sometimes you don't, but there's just something about charismatic people when they're really charismatic where you're like, holy shit, like you could literally get me to do anything. You're, yeah, you know, do you know what I mean? Like they're far and few between, but sometimes you meet them and it's just like, what the fuck? Like I know this person's dodgy. I shouldn't be near them, but I want to be near them. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, that's totally true. And say like within those prison walls, so you've got, semi scenarios that come up day to day and I'm gonna put my hand up like I was scared in some of those scenarios dealing with some scary blokes and then you'll get someone who's charismatic and he seems like your friend and you build a rapport with him and he he sort of will give you that sense of like safe like you feel a bit safe from it and yeah like that's a big thing like if you can feel You've got prisoners manipulating you to feel safe. Right, the next like they, you know, can, they can fake empathy, or they can they can yeah, fake definitely. the fact that like they're actually a nice person, but they're just winning you over. And then when shit goes down, it's like I'll stab you, or I'll you know whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, they at the end of the day, like uh, there was um, there was a huge riot because we brought the smoking ban in. And um, we had there was a, not at our prison, but there was a prison about two miles down the road from ours, and they kicked off the day before the smoking, and that was a perfect example. Like there was officers there who thought they would be okay if this situation rocked up, and if this was going to happen, we'd be fine because I've got this rapport, I've got this relationship, sort of thing with the prisoner. And then there, the prisoners just turned on them. They don't give a shit. They just literally turned and they. Like there's there's footage online you can see of prisoners chasing a van full of officers, <laughs> and like they're, they're, they're armed to the teeth with like jumpers over their heads and they've got covering their identity. But 
bottom line is they're chasing after these prison officers to basically do harm to them where I would have put a little bet on it that the day before this riot, they would have been sitting there joking with them, having laughs with them. Yeah, and I'll have to go yeah. down to the local betting agency and, and see if I can um, put a hundred bucks on the head of a, a mass murder in a jail riot. <laughs> 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 yeah. Paying good yeah, odds. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. A, it's an interesting job, Gaz, because not many people, like usually we watch TV shows or movies I mean, Prison Break's definitely not a good representation, but there are other, other movies that do represent prison a lot better. But we never really get yeah, to definitely. live that reality to be in there with particularly mass murderers. I mean, there's people in jail just for speeding fines and whatever. It's like, yeah, okay, they're not that harmful. But when you're talking about, like, rapists and killers and that sort of thing and you're around them on a daily basis, like, that is a very rare thing for people to experience, hey? Oh, it's, it's, it is crazy. Like, and for people who've never experienced it, as we've just talked, I've, I've got a history of taking drugs. So for me, seeing people and influence under the influence of drugs wasn't a big surprise, but, um, it's, yeah, it can be just a huge eye opener for some people. Like it's just, it's a, it's a different world inside their malls. And I really, really enjoyed working inside there for a good five years. Like I, but then I did have an incident which totally changed my mindset on the thing. Like I, a, a prisoner turned on I had my three staff for the day and he put one of them in hospital and he um, put another one like off work for a few weeks. And from that moment then, like, I don't know, like something about me, just my whole mindset on the prison work just changed. Like I, that's my personality. Some people are built for it and they're tough for it and they can get past that. Right. I tried after after the incident for about six to eight months, I was trying my best to get past it, but my psyche wasn't there. Right. I just would, would you say though just that didn't your, really. your confidence, like going from having worked in a, a job like a, a chicken farm over to, and maybe some jobs in between, but the difference between a chicken farm and being a, a prison guard in a maximum security prison is a, is a huge difference. Do you think there was like along that learning curve of stepping into a role like that, that it changed your confidence? Like because you're around like these people who are quite threatening and you're able to sort of hold your ground and probably put up with a lot of abuse from them. Did that change you in some way? Like, did you, did you feel like it, it improved your character or your confidence? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would say, I've got definitely more confidence talking to people and like I never spent time on the phones before working in this job. And there's a lot of time where I had to spend like making phone calls for prisoners or making inquiries, like just communicating with others. Cause I said, I worked in a chicken abattoir. I wasn't exactly going to start talking to the chickens, am I? <laughs> so I have this job, this job forced me to talk to other people. And yeah, that definitely, definitely helped me. And I'd say that like, the, the, the one thing I will always take out of the prison that I'm thankful for is it's made me alert to, like, when, say, shit's about to go down. So if I can – I would claim that, like, if I was, say, in a pub or something and you can sort of see – Right. You can, like, I can Your feel, instinct. like, a room – like Yeah, like, the tension yeah. in a room or something like that. And you, I can pick it from miles away now. So Right. That, like, that's, if something's, like, starting to brew, like, some people yeah, are like, definitely. like roughing each other up and then or someone's like, I don't know, chatting up someone's missus and then you, you're about to see a glass go somewhere or... Yeah. 
Uh, just a bit more alert to them sort of things. Like you're a bit more alert to the evils in life, I guess. Yeah. Oh, well, that's um, it's all very interesting stuff, mate. Um, I've got a couple of other questions because we've been yarning for about forty minutes. Um, mate, yeah, mate. I've got to ask you. Soccer, known as football, over in the UK, is a big, big uh, part of your life and has been from a young age. Um, what is it that you, you get out of it? And um, what would you say is the most exciting like part of it for you? And, and you've been to a few different matches and whatnot while you've been over there in the UK, visiting a few different stadiums? Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess it started when I was younger as well, like, Following um, me, me idol, Eric Cantona, he just turned me into a, a soccer football freak and followed it for years and years online. And then we got Foxtel back home. So I watched the, all the matches. And I just as I said, I've always been destined to move over to this part of the country, this part of the world. And yeah, it's 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 great. Like for me, like waking up on match day when there's a game to go to and you, you head down to the pub and you have a couple of pints and then all the boys the lads start get singing and they're jumping around singing their songs. Like that that atmosphere, that buzz for me is well, it's better than weed, that's for sure. Like it's it's a great buzz. And then going into the stadium and then just hearing the noise, the crowd and it's it's the pub culture, the the football culture, I guess. Like the fans. The fans make it for me. Yeah, nice it's, one, nice one. Um and do you think that uh, this is going to be something that you'll continue for the rest of your life like you, you'll continue to go to the football watch it you know wake up to different hours of the morning wherever you are around the world to watch matches and play it on fifa on your playstation or whatever like you you pretty much live it i think i don't know between that and the simpsons mate you're <laughs> <laughs> yeah pretty much i don't ever plan to stop following football it's 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 a love for me. I, I said going going to a going to a pub before the match, having a few beers and having a sing along with the fans, and then sitting down for ninety minutes and watching your team play for me is just it's it's great. It's a great buzz. And then after the match, heading back to the pub and then talking about the match. And it's not so much the pub as in getting shit faced drunk. It's just the atmosphere, being around the fans and having a sing along. And then yeah, like from that, I've my my goals of moving over here to the UK were to try and see as many stadiums as possible. So, like March two thousand eighteen, I ticked off one of the biggest bucket lists of my life, and I got to watch England play at Wembley. And like, very good. That's, the that's about two hundred thousand people that stadium, isn't it? Oh, not quite two hundred. There's about a hundred thousand if they max it out, and then I think on the night there was about ninety. But um, it yeah like dreaming about going to a big stadium like Wembley all my life and then getting in that stadium and then hearing the buzz of that crowd and then hearing the, once again, hearing the fans sing along to their songs. It was just, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm thinking of um, when some uh, muse or some, a a music band played there, but that would have been all the people in the seats as well as on the ground. Yeah, probably. Yeah. They can get a few more people in there for when they've got a band on. Yeah. 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 Um, Cool, man. So um, that probably switches us over to the next uh, part, which is is live music. We probably got to know each other best through going to gigs together and music festivals. Meredith Music Festival being one of them, probably one of the best. First time uh, I met you, Samoa, was at a live gig. 
Where, where were oh, you? Really I remember. I actually do remember the, the first time we met. The Dallas, Dallas, the Dallas Crane Channel V bus, and you offered me a Marlboro Light. <laughs> there you go. My <laughs> first connection was smoking. <laughs> like no, many. No, you know, let's say the first connection was music. <laughs> they were a fucking great band, though, Dallas Crane. They killed it. Oh, no. Yeah, definitely. Actually, Burger just sent me a link recently to listen to their, their first album again, and I did it with absolute glee. It was absolutely amazing. Fuck, Dallas Crane is such have a to, good band. I might have to pump that tomorrow because I'm, I'm driving about three to four hours a day at the moment, like literally going from the East Coast down to South right. Australia and then up to the Northern Territory. So I'm going to be seeing Burger. So, yeah, you know, like it's there's well, a lot of hours, man, on the road. I've been, like today, I've listened to two podcasts, my best of mix on Spotify. There's a lot of time to kill, a lot of time to think, but enjoying the process, yeah, man. So, you said you're in um, this tiny town wherever you are, you can't yeah, even like this it. town that I'm in has a supermarket and about 10 shops. And this is the darkest spot, the darkest spot <laughs> for viewing stars. So now it's like 5.54 p.m. Um, as I look out my windows in my van, I can see that, yeah, it's starting to get dark. But I reckon in about two hours, it's going to be probably max darkness. Then I'm going to head to this spot. It's about 7K out of town. And you can look up at the stars and just see like a massive amount of the galaxy. Um, on top of that... There's a guy with this huge telescope. I might stay till tomorrow. We can go in there and he's got this observatory and you can literally go in there and look at all the different, like, things in space. I don't know what you can see, but, dude, I'm so glad I found this place because it's literally in the middle of fucking nowhere. Like, the people out here are really weird. When I went to the supermarket, <laughs> cruising around, with my fucking headband on, with my long hair, and they're just looking at me like, you don't belong here. <laughs> 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 no, that's, that's good. So, well, so you'll watch, what, you're going to see the sunset tonight, look at some stars, and then you're on the road again tomorrow. Whereabouts you're heading tomorrow then? Do you have a Mate, set location or you just, I, just drive along I until you get sick of driving? I, I try and wake up at the start of every day, do my morning routine, and then decide, all right, Monday, yes, okay, I'll have to work for a few hours, but then I'll be on the road. I look at the map between here and South Australia, and I go, oh, that looks like about three or four hours. Is there a town somewhere around there? And then I'll look it up. I'll be like, oh, yeah, cool. There is something there. <laughs> so yeah. today, this morning, I knew that there was this place up in the mountains with this waterfall so i stayed there last night uh mind you oh, I, did, I did leave my headlights on so i woke up to uh, this bloke <laughs> who had to come and jump start which was all right but um yeah i mean this is it you, you go on the road you're completely solo you're left to your own devices but it's literally the best fucking therapy you could imagine um you get a lot of time to like assess your life and it's just like an interesting journey because having spent so much time up in byron bay it's just like all right there's a lot of partying there's a lot of things that you can say yes to it's like there's drugs available there's girls available there's alcohol there's cigarettes it's it's just you know out here none of that's available and you just sort of 
get on the road and I mean it's the first really long trip I've ever done in the van so yeah it'd be good to get up there see Bergs um, see what the Northern Territory is about because I've heard good things um, and yeah, just, just see how things go really but um, mate, music wise Give us your top music experience. Would that be a gig? Would that be a particular set at a music festival? I'd probably be. Like, the first one that springs to mind, and I think, Simon, you were fucking right next to me for it too, is my first ever Meredith. And, like, before Meredith, as I don't know if any listeners out there know what Meredith is, Meredith Music Festival's probably the best place I've ever been to in my life. Um, the first band I saw was the Mess Hall, and I'd never been in a mosh pit before that. Before seeing the Mess Hall at Meredith Music Festival, music was just something on the radio. It was just something that it was just just there, basically. And then I got to watch the Mess Hall. I think you were next to me. I think old mate Jared Jennings was next to us. And the buzz and the feeling of being in a mosh pit and on the same level experiencing the Mess Hall together with the other thousands of fans there. It was just, I was, I remember I was gone. Yeah. Like, I, was, I was sold, mate. Like, you couldn't, I, I had to get back there. So I think 2006, we snuck into Meredith Music Festival and we said we were from the Inverleaf Woody Club and Gilbert drove us through the front gate. We're looking for Mick Filet. <laughs> and then that continued until the, the, the day I left Australia, basically, I did 13 years in a row of that yeah, festival. Yeah, it, it's, it's a great drug, isn't it? Like live music and it's an even live better music. drug on drugs because that's a big part of it. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely. a big part of going to festivals. Like we'd definitely be having nose beers every single year that we we're there, not to mention all other things. But, I mean, we don't have to go Snow into party. details about that, but we'd party hard for three days. That was a huge part of growing up, like. Fucking know. They were some of the best days oh. that I look back on. That's a lot of fun there, definitely. And that's where um, I guess I could say a love for LSD, but like acid, basically. Like Meredith Music Festival is designed for taking the drug acid. Oh, yeah. And it's, that's, oh, yeah, it's just mind-blowing, basically. That, like you watching mentioned that, music. LSD. I've, I picked up three different books this journey because it's going to take me weeks man to drive to the northern territory like weeks and weeks it's fucking ages but i've got this book i'm holding in my hand right now lsd and the mind of the universe and it's basically like this guy who was a doctor and he took 73 high doses of lsd in sessions oh wow not at once but he took these 73 high dose like LSD sessions over about 20 years. And he talks about every single LSD experience that he had. And I mean, he wasn't at a music festival taking them down in a mosh pit, then back at the campsite, like getting completely wild with his mates. So it would have been a very different experience. But it's funny that you say that because I reckon taking a drug like LSD for sure can change your life for the positive. What do you reckon? Oh, I- I totally, I'm, I'm totally, I'm pro drugs, believe it or not. Like as, as someone who sits here as a, as a, I'll put my hand up, I'm a drug addict, but like I'm pro taking and experiencing drugs. Like if there was a way that you could say smoke a spliff once a month and that was your limit, or if you could say have a tab of acid, say once a month, I'm very pro for that. Like it's, 
experience the things in life. It's just when you get to a point where it's a problem and it becomes an addiction, that's where I'm definitely anti that because of where I am in my life at the moment. For sure, yeah. And, I mean, like drugs can be a good thing, like MDMA and ecstasy. You can take it and it can allow you to express yourself, like, around your mates. Like, put your for someone who put their arm around a mate like and go you mean a lot to me or just fucking like you know have these deep and meaningful chats or even just dance your fucking head off and don't care what anyone thinks like i I, seriously how can people say that they're all bad because there's definitely like positive like effects for drugs that's for sure Definitely. And instead of taking LSD, like I have been, I've been in a mosh pit where you're jumping around like a dickhead. And I've also sat at home with friends and sort of just had a night where you sit around talking and sit around a fire. And the conversation, it, it, it just opens your mind up. If you can, you just, you can think differently. And, I'm, and there's evidence, there's proof in the pudding. Like you look at some of the most famous people on earth and like, I don't know, Joe Rogan famous podcaster, major pothead. And you got, say, I think you've told me, Steve Jobs, the owner of Apple, he took acid. For sure, yeah. Um, yeah lots of people um, have done it and, and had... The head coach the head coach of the Chicago Bulls, Phil Jackson, he's taken acid and look how successful he was. <laughs> yeah, the last like, dance. That was he's, a good... good, good uh... oh, amazing documentary. I've watched it about four times. I yeah. just fell in love with Those that last two, The last two episodes and they were talking about uh, Michael Jordan and they're like, you know, it's not his talent. It's not his skill for basketball that makes him great. It's that he's completely present. He's like he's like a, a mystic, you know, and they were just like following around with the camera and he's always just like there in the present moment, even in his personality. Yeah. I just think like, of course, it's his skill and everything, but the fact that he was just that present and just fucking there in, in the present moment, legend. Like, he's just fucking... Oh, I've got a poster. Like, I'm looking around right now, number 23 on my wall, bouncing the ball past Shaquille O'Neal somewhere in the 90s. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. He was just so motivated, basically. It didn't matter. Like, if whatever he was doing, he wanted to be the best at it. So, if yeah. he was making a cup of tea, he wanted to make a better cup of the new. Yeah. If he was shooting hoop, he wanted to make that, he wanted to shoot better hoop. That competitive nature. Want- it's it's not a bad thing to have though. Like to be competitive because you're always like so driven even if it is just to beat the person next to you like who cares whatever's motivating yeah you know it's all good yeah that's it like you have like a quiet game of one-on-one with your friend where for me it'd be just like socially catching up with someone but for him it's just i've got to beat my friend i've got to win this match and that competitive nature is taking him to what he's a yeah, billionaire yeah. successful sportsman he's where he is now because of that competitive nature 100 percent, oh mate hey um Speaking of friends, it's been good to have a friend on, mate. Um, we're at 50 minutes and I've got to get running to see these stars. So I reckon yes, we can absolutely talk for hours and hours. But, hey, thanks for, for coming on the podcast. I didn't think I'd ever go past one episode, but here we are with uh, Gaza Bright. Cheers, mate. Enjoy your travels too. I hope you uh, look up for the Crux Constellation. The Crux Constellation has got the Southern Cross within there you go. There's a little fact for you for people who might not know. All right, just don't get it tattooed on your arm like everyone in the Gold Coast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate. Lovely to chat. Not a problem, and, um, mate. I'll fucking I'll, I'll send the recording soon and let's send it out there. Let's like get in front of our friends and let them hear about your life.
Yeah, mate. I'm I'm happy to. This has been good, mate. Enjoy your travels. Keep it up, mate. Keep going. See you guys. Enjoy. See you, mate.